Warning, Weird West Radio contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Radio on Rain Man Digital. I'm Michael Flores, the host of this wild, wild west extravaganza, and uh, my partner in crime, my sidekick, my masked partner. Well, I'm the masked. I'm the masked hero. You're my uh, Tonto. So my Tonto is Clint. Hello, Clint. Hello. Is that your impersonation of? That's as best as I can of do. Tonto. That sounded like Scooby Doo. It did. I, yeah, that was. <laughs> I, I don't think that was a Tonto. <laughs> Roll. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Uh, all right. Never try any no. impersonations again. I, I'll stick with my Midwest retard sound. That's that's the way to go. <laughs> 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 all right. So you and I are continuing our fun adventure into the unforgiven territory. Uh, during our last episode, we had reviewed and broken down the 1992 film uh, Unforgiven, starring Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman, as well as Gene Hackman. Today, we're going to be discussing the 2013 remake. Now, Clint, there may be people out there saying, a 2013 remake? When the fuck did this happen? Well, it happened in 2013. You missed it. <laughs> Um, but it is a Japanese remake, and that might be why some people have not heard of this. And I'll be honest, I have my pulse on the Western cinema. As you know, we do these shows. I have to. Either you or I usually know something, and I had never heard of this remake. Had you ever heard this? Any whispers, rumors at all about this movie? Anything? I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, it usually when you hear Japanese remake, I think subtitles and I might have just turned it off. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was surprised. And how this came through my desk of planning was I was simply looking for some new Weird West to get into. And typically I have a list of about 100 different things we're going to get through. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, Clint. I have 100 different items, movies on a list. And I add two or three, probably once or twice a week. And I noticed that we were lacking some Western films from the Asian cinema. I'm like, well, we have a few here and there, but let me 
see what we got. So I did some Google searching and this movie was the first one to come up. And I was surprised because a it's directed by a pretty well-known director from Japan, uh, Sang Il Lee. And it stars one of my favorite Asian actors, Ken Watanabe. Yeah. He is great and he is so good. And I will say this right now. He did bring something different to this movie. He did. Not that he's a better actor. I'm not going to create controversy here. Not that he's a created, not that he's a better actor than Clint Eastwood, but uh, he's a better actor than Clint Eastwood. I'll just say (laughs) Clint Eastwood is amazing. But when you compare the acting side by side, you get something different from Ken Watanabe. And I feel like that's the the best part of this remake is that there's a whole different thing going on. And we'll get into that briefly. But I did or, or in just a moment. But I did. I was surprised that I just never heard of this movie, even though Ken Watanabe was attached and starred. And it was a fairly big success. It's sitting at a 93%, I believe, on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a lower score from audiences than the original, which I think that's just Western buffs. You know how we are. Yep. You're like, this is a goddamn remake. I hate this (laughs) shit. Where's Clint Eastwood? So I get it. I understand. Um, So, yes, a 2013 remake. And I'll say this. As far as remakes go... They typically they're typically they typically aren't that great. I think we can agree, right, yes. Clint? Yep. Yeah. And sometimes you ask why? Why did you make this again? There is no reason for it. And if they were to say, "Hey, we're going to remake this and make it a true western again," from you know, we're going to remake the 1992 Oscar-winning film, Clint Eastwood's final western. If someone were to, were to say that, I, I'd think they're high. I'm like, wh- wh- why would you want to do that? That's You're silly. The movie still holds up. There's no reason to do this. But because it is dressed within the motif of the samurai pieces, the samurai epics, the samurai cinema, it works. And I find myself okay with this remake. Now, that being said, Clint, I am anxious to hear your initial thoughts. Please give them to me. Well, I think we both know how I feel when it's going to have subtitles. I get a little nervous because I tend to drift at times. Right. But this, uh, I, it's it's one of those that since we've already seen the f- the the original, you can kind of get away from the subtitles and enjoy the scenery, the acting, the um fight scenes, the everything, and you don't miss much because I think it's already kind of processed. Right. You, you know what I'm trying to say? So yeah. it the, the subtitles usually scare me off, obviously. It was actually kind of pleasant to watch because I didn't stick with w- watching reading, <laughs> and I got to watch. Reading's hard, right, Clint? Well, I don't like it in my movies. I'll say yeah. that. Not as, and I don't mind a little bit of subtitles because you know if they're in a different country and you get a little bit, that's okay. But it's tough sometimes when it's throughout the whole film. Now, if I had some more time, I might actually go back and 
maybe pay attention to all the subtitles because I kind of watched and enjoyed the film. But it, yeah. this is one that you can actually watch and uh, you don't have to read if you don't want to because it's already kind of ingrained if you watched it a hundred times like we have. Yeah. The original. Yeah, that makes sense. And I will say that the the dialogue, it does matter, but a lot of the differences are in the nuances of the performance itself the subtext so because when you compare the script the writing and you look at it from a parallel aspect and you're you know examining each of the each of the movies and what they're saying for the most part the plot is pretty identical Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's what's being said is different if that makes sense I do have some things I want to get into a little bit later after our first break. But first, I want to talk about the remake aspect and why. I want to expand on that thought. As far as remakes go, this was great. This was good. This was well done. Are typically, I'm not a. I'm, you know, a lot of people are kind of fed up with Hollywood, and and when I say Hollywood, I'm encompassing all of the cinema, not just the localized market here in the United States. Uh, all cinema, we are remake happy and reboot happy, and I understand why. It's because typically studios put a lot of money into movies, a lot of money into pictures, and. They like putting money into for sure things. They feel like if an audience understands what it is, it creates some type of recognition. A light bulb goes off in the would-be potential audience's minds. They're like, they're like, oh, okay, I remember that. I'm going to check this out. And that's that's the thought process behind it. And what we're left with many times is a shell of a remake. It's not re- It has the name. It has maybe even the smell. But there's nothing that resembles the the original. In most cases, I mean, I, I want to say the closest or the most recent example is the Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was we we didn't hate the movie, but we both said during our review, like, well, this pales in comparison in almost every way. It was simply just a summer blockbuster move they took the magnificent seven and turned it into a blockbuster popcorn movie i think we even said it if it came out in a different name it would have probably felt a little better we would have been less angry probably when watching the movie (laughs) right is that what we said essentially Uh, something like that yeah yeah with this movie I was okay with the remake for a lot of reasons. Number one, it is saying something different. But first, what I have to say is that it just makes sense, uh, especially when you take into consideration the samurai films and the fact that typically they are Westerns and they are very similar. In this movie, the symmetry is pretty damn spot on. If you go back to 1964 with the debut of A Fistful of Dollars, it was a remake of Kurokasawa's Yohimbo, and it made Clint Eastwood into an international star. Now you have Eastwood's 1992 Western being remade by a Korean-Japanese director. So it, there's a sense of symmetry there. It's a little poetic. I like it. I dig it. But also, let's look at the influence on Western cinema. Initially. 
early samurai films were influenced by the still-growing Western film genre before and during World War II. And since then, both genres have had a wealthy, or I should say healthy, impact on one another. Two forefathers of the genre, Akira Kurosawa and Masaki Kobayashi, were influenced by American film directors such as John Ford. In fact, a number of Western movies have retold the samurai movie in a, in a Western context. For example, Italian director, our favorite, Sergio Leone's Fistful of Dollars and Walter Hill's Last Man Standing are both remakes of Yohimbo. Clint Eastwood's Man With No Name character was remodeled to some degree on Mifune's Wandering Ronin character that appeared in so many of his films. The Hidden Fortress influenced George Lucas when he made Star Wars. Seven Samurai has been remade as a Western, as I had <laughs> mentioned, and as a science fiction context film as well. So there, Battle Beyond the Stars. I've never heard of that, but according to reports, there is a science fiction version of that. So there is a history here of seeing how so many Western films and samurai films have used each other as a source of inspiration. I believe Charles Bronson was even in uh, a film that was inspired by the samurai epics, Red Sun, 1971. So if you're going to do a remake, this is my point. If you're going to do a remake on a 1992 Clint Eastwood Oscar winning film that's for the most part beloved, right, Clint? Yeah, I, there's no getting around that one. <laughs> it's just beloved. I don't know a single Western buff that doesn't think that movie is great. So if you're going to do it, this is the way. Rather than giving us a straight up Western, give us something that makes sense. Give us that symmetry that pretty much created a form of continuity between the the Western and Asian cinema over the course of what, almost 100 years? Mm-hmm. Why not do it? So. It works, and that's why I was even willing to give this a shot. If this was a straight-up traditional Western, I would have been out the door. I wouldn't have even sent it to you and said, Clint, let's watch it. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to be upset. You know, I, I'm, we're upset so many times as it is about shitty movies these days. Why give us more reasons to have a stroke, right? Well, I'm older, so yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. We're getting up there in the years. <laughs> well, and right. I, the the part that I liked about this was that even though it, it did kind of follow the the original, just the difference in that culture, you know, it was it was fun to kind of watch it in that. Well, even that time frame, I guess you'd say, because it was, you know, the samurais and, and, you know, swords and stuff. So it was kind of fun to watch that on a different level. Know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It was, it was really interesting to, to, to recognize the story, but it goes back so much farther. It was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting to see those differences. And as I said at the top of the show, Clint, and I don't know if you picked up on this because you kind of took for granted that uh, it's kind of the same movie because you don't like to read. 
but I'm hoping you picked up on some of the body language and some of the mood setting when it comes to the differences, because when it comes to plot, pretty much the same, right? Whore gets cut up because she snickered at a small dude's penis. The whores <laughs> get angry and put a reward on their heads. Angry local law enforcement decides to keep the peace in his fair town by preventing anyone from collecting this bounty. Our heroes or anti-heroes catch wind of the bounty. One has chosen not to kill. One's an old friend. And so on. It's vi- it's pretty much identical plot wise. And honestly, the opening 30 minutes, I'm like, this is a beautiful movie. But if you don't deliver something different, I go, I'm going to have to drop points. No matter how beautiful your movie is or how fantastic you're making a carbon copy remake. Because if you're going to do a remake, you got to give me something different. And this is what made me ultimately enjoy this movie. This version of Unforgiven is a rare type of remake. It's a remake that functions independently. Yes, identical in terms of plot, but there's something completely different brewing below the surface. We had talked in detail about the meaning of Unforgiven, right? The original, the 1992. Well, this movie has an entirely different meaning and different different themes, different subtext. Yeah, you have a guy that doesn't want to kill but this is more socio sociopolitical. There's a lot of politics involved, which is more culturally appropriate when you look at the time. You're dealing with a time period that was literally a time that changed everything for the people of Japan. It was the end of the samurai era and a government system that was set in place that was completely governed by classism, social classism. And that's more or less what this movie was trying to explore. Despite the identical plot, you had a a movie. You had this director say, well, I want to be faithful to the original plot, but I'm going to say something more culturally appropriate. A movie like this may not work as well if you're trying to capture the Western motifs, the Western archetypes. Uh, in terms of literary tropes, because they're different. Culturally, the West was very different, specifically at this time, than Japan. Very, very different. We were about freedom at this time, right? Mm. Wide open spaces. These were people that were facing a different type of tyranny, even though they recently had changed and abolished classism. You still had prejudice, You still had people looking down at individuals that they felt were, you know, not as good as them. So at the core of this movie, you actually have a film that is actually completely different. All while maintaining 100% accuracy to the original plot. That's a fucking feat. And that made me actually become a huge fan of this director because that's some effort. Uh, You have a director who decided I'm going to do a remake and I'm going to do it just the same. But I'm going to have within the subtext, I'm going to say something entirely different. And I like that because many times when you watch a remake, what did you say, Clint? 
for the most part, it was the same, right? Mm-hmm. Narratively, when you watch a remake, if you saw the original, it's limited by a lack of surprises. We know what's going to happen. If the territory is newish, you know, in terms of subtext and theme, then suddenly we can feel like we're possibly watching something different. And yes, as I said, he, for the most part, produced David Webb people's original screenplay, but put his own insights, his own influences. And that's typically a director's prerogative. Each director is going to want to say something different in their movie and make their film more unique to them. You're not going to have a creative individual wanting to make a carbon copy. Nobody wants to paint by number, especially if you respect yourself within the directing circles and you consider yourself an artist of sorts. So seeing uh, Lee take this down essentially a different route, we get essentially a different movie. And that's why I enjoyed this because I, I just don't like remakes. No matter how great the remake is, I've already seen the story. You know, so at least they gave us something a little different in terms of of what the movie is trying to say. Now, in terms of acting. Ken Watanabe just killed it. He had a completely different thing going on. Same idea. Man in love with his wife. She's been dead for three years, but you get a sense that he's in deep sorrow and deep pain. Clint Eastwood, you get the vibe that he did not want to accept who he was, right? He promised to his wife that he was not going to be this man. And he did not want to acknowledge that he might possibly be this man. Beautiful story in its own right. We already talked about the greatness of that. With Wontanabe's performance, you get something close, but unique for this particular picture. You get a, a nuanced look into a man who is actually fighting internal demons, a man who is disappointed in himself, uh, possibly wrestling with the, the things he has done to people. There's a sense of remorse and regret that was not there with Clint Eastwood's performance in the original movie. And because the director chose to go down that route and you have a man wrestling with his inner demons in the midst of social political upheaval, you get a very different story yet again, running side by side the immediate plot. So Wontanabe knocked it out the park. Uh, In terms of character development overall, let's compare what we received in the 1992 version of the film and then the 2013. How do you feel about the doppelgangers? Uh, Ken Watanabe versus Clint Eastwood. And then, of course, Morgan Freeman versus his doppelganger. I cannot pronounce the gentleman's name, so I'm not even (laughs) going to attempt. Thoughts on them? Uh, I liked them. They, of course... They had that inner struggle, which I, which I think in any film you watch is kind of, it, 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 it brings you in a little deeper, right? Because you, you don't want a paper cut out of this warrior or 
gunslinger, whatever, what have you, you know, you want someone with a little depth. And I kind of, I actually enjoyed both of them. They, you, you mentioned earlier, the, the sorrow that he felt where as our Clint Eastwood had, he was kind of not quite grips with, he, he knew who he was, but he didn't want to believe it. Yada, yada. But I think that part that I, I liked about that was the inner struggle. Um, the Morgan Freeman character, um, I, he was okay. I, I liked him. I liked Morgan Freeman more just because he, I don't know. It just, maybe it was just because of the, again, because of the subtitles, I didn't quite <laughs> grasp the, um, the friendship as much yeah. as like the Morgan Freeman, because Morgan Freeman knew who Clint Eastwood's character was. Right. And it, I picked up on more of that than in this one. Yeah. Th- this one seemed like they were trying to build on the idea that in Wantanabe's partner didn't fully know who he was, that he had heard stories about this man killing you know, innocent Christians and mm-hmm. and innocent individuals, women and children, but he didn't know if it was true. And he had even asked him, tell, tell them that this isn't true when he was trying to get the truth out of him. And then you find out that this is a guy that's actually afraid of his friend, afraid of who he is and afraid of possibly even being just like him. So it was a similar relationship, but... For me, I also prefer not that the performance wasn't good because it was, but since we're comparing them here, I do prefer the the relationship between Morgan Freeman and Clint Eastwood a little better because I feel like that was his partner in crime. You know, yeah. literally, like that was his buddy, and his buddy knew everything about him, and yet he still loved him, cared about him, and was willing to die for him. Well, he's seen the dark side. I mean, literally was next to him in the dark times or the gunfighter times. And it was, it didn't have that. There was no guesswork, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It it was, it was very on the surface. Yeah. They, I will give you that. I feel like they were focusing more on the bigger story. Um, If you look at the 1992 unforgiven, the original, I would say 90% of that movie was about Clint Eastwood, right? It was mm-hmm. very personal. It was one of the, that's why I feel like it's one of his best movies of all time because it was a very personal performance. This movie, even though Wantanami did great in conveying an other side of a story, another version of the same story, because the director was telling a bigger story, there, there was nothing dealing with classism in the original Unforgiven. They weren't getting into politics. And because he was really trying to tell a bigger overarching story. Some of those nuanced performances into our characters into their relationships were lost. The, the thing that saved it for me when it comes to Wantanabe's partner was when he had regretted being involved and that when he realized how easy it was for his friend to kill someone, 
he had blamed himself and said, I should not have dragged you into this. And he kind of blamed himself for bringing his friend back into this type of life. I did like that. And that made that relationship a little better for me. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I prefer Eastwood and Morgan Freeman's interplay. In my humble opinion, I will say the third character I felt was far more interesting than the original character. Uh, what was his name? Something kid. The 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 Crisco kid. What was the original in, in, character? In, I think they they did kept calling him kid. I guess I missed the <clears throat> the Schofield kid. That's that's his, his, I I never really connected with a Schofield kid. He just came off as a bit of a douche in yeah. the in the original film. I I feel like they did. Uh, Lee did a Lee Sang Il did a much better job fleshing out the third leads story uh, was a, his name was Goro Sawada he was more interesting for a lot of reasons because his character was directly connected to the prejudices that was happening in this movie and because he was directly connected to a theme and a part of the plot it made his character more important uh, I, the Schofield kid in the original Unforgiven was more or less a plot device to to bring Clint Eastwood's character in back into the killing, back into the fray. Yeah, well, and he was a he was a young bullshitist. He was trying to flex in front of these two big gunfighters, and they kind of alluded each time he said a story that both of them didn't really believe him. Mm -hmm. You know, and then we found out once he did kill somebody, he couldn't quite get grasps get a grasp with it which mm -hmm. i i, I like that i thought that was a cool part and i'm i'm 100 with you when you say that he was just kind of there as a plot device because he he did kind of at when when it was time to bring the heat he was gone whereas this guy he was like you said he was part of it he was already um he already felt I, is the word betrayed, not betrayed. Um, he had the prejudices, like you were saying. Right. So he was already part of that environment. Yeah, he was more intrinsically connected to the message. I don't want to call it a social message because that sounds very agenda-y. I don't think there was an agenda here. I simply feel like the director was uh, attempting to make... A, a remake that was more culturally appropriate for that region of the world and that time period. So yeah, he was far, he was far better. It's interesting when you look at this movie side by side and it's really hard to pinpoint which one is better. And I, I, I have my own preference based on, subjective perspectives you know but objectively speaking it's really hard to say which movie is better because there are pros and cons to each i can say well okay i really like what lee sang ill did with this part but then holy shit eastwood did so great over here i uh, but it's it kind of comes down in my opinion to subjective thoughts like what do you prefer in your films right mm -hmm. because each of these movies were fantastically scripted out and cinematography visually both of them are are pretty damn great i yeah. want to say 
this one, the 2013, uh, please, God, forgive me. I think <laughs> I will say that the cinematography might have been stronger in this movie. I mean, there was some poetic shots and you, you, we love the snow. Oh. There were some powerful imagery that helped convey a part of the story. I mean, first off, the Asian cinema and samurai films in general always, always have amazing visuals in terms of cinematography. So it's really hard to admit it because I love the 1992 Clint Eastwood Unforgiven and it has wonderful visuals. But I, I want to say, I believe his name is Norimichi Kasamatsu. The cinematographer for this movie, I got to say, it might be better. There's, do you think that's just age and different techniques or do you it think that was, be. oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was agreeing with you. It could be. Oh. Yeah. Just because I think, especially from the, from that time to this time, I think even the mechanics of crane machines and handhelds and all that kind of stuff you can kind of do a little maybe even experiment a little bit more with stuff i don't know yeah i would agree with that and also the the styles have changed and maybe i just love the oh no i can't say that there's amazing cinematography (laughs) in the 60s and 70s um i want to say studios are more willing to experiment now there you go Whereas with a 1992 film like Unforgiven, possibly the studios are like, mm, let's not experiment too much here. Well, and do you it, think like Clint Eastwood just wanted to kind of keep it that traditional Western vibe so that that was it? You know, yeah. I know we talked about yeah. him uh, not so much killing the Western or maybe his uh, part of it, but... Do you think he just kind of kept that relation of the cinematography pretty traditional yeah. as opposed to like this where it's – I hate saying samurai movie because that's not really – Yeah. But this this version – I know to, what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. You know, I just – maybe that's kind of how it played out too. I – those are good points. I can't disagree when you look at Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven, I can definitely see he was going for a more traditional vibe opposed to visual poetry and and the stuff that I tend to love nowadays. There was more of a, a sincerity to the traditional westerns and the imagery in the 1992 western. And I'm I'm when I say sincerity, I'm talking about the American Westerns because Unforgiven didn't feel like any of the Italian Westerns at all. It didn't have that stylized vibe. So I feel like he was trying to cater more to the American audiences in his film. Mm-hmm. And when you mentioned samurai films and having, you know, a samurai maybe style to cinematography, I would agree with that. When you have a director trying to make a remake of a Western, and essentially this is a Western and a samurai film, you have to remember when you make a certain movie, it's not, you can't just say, hey, it's a Western. We, why? Because they're wearing a hat and they have guns. There's things <laughs> that go. How many times do we say that? There's things that go with that genre. 
So because this is a hybrid samurai slash Western, he possibly was more open to doing things that we don't always see in Westerns. And because I'm a cinematography buff, I like the options. I like the, the, the when cinematographers are willing to open up their repertoire and really experiment. And sometimes the traditional Westerns don't really allow for that. Whereas with a samurai hybrid, you can fuck around a little. Mm-hmm. And by the way, even though this was shot in 2013, it was in fact shot on airy cameras, airy kiln, airy 35 millimeter film cameras. And that I picked up on the moment I pushed play. I saw the grain within the dark areas of the picture. I'm like, okay, that is 10 points for you, Lee Sang Il, <laughs> right away. Because this is at a time, you know, 2013, people were already well into veering away from shooting film at this point in terms of the bigger studios, right? We were already seeing the the digital craze boom. All right, so let's take a very quick break. And then when we get back, we're going to jump into the rest of our discussion. We're going to talk about the reception, the director, and other things he's worked on, as well as Ken Watanabe. We'll be right back. Weird West Radio will be right back. Want more Weird West Radio? Get more Western discussions, plus some pulpy fun. Get more Weird West Radio every month. When you pledge just $4 or more a month, you will receive two to four additional broadcasts every single month. More movie discussions on the weird, strange, and traditional Westerns, including episodic breakdowns on the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. and the Wild Wild West. Also, for you Spaghetti Western fans, we've got a monthly specialty show dedicated specifically to the iconic film genre of the 60s and 70s. For more Western discussions plus some pulpy fun, go to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge. The Rain Man Show. The Rain Man Show. Least entertaining, you know, like oh my a guy gets a horse. What are you on about? Tony, a guy being yeah, no, dragged a guy gets by a horse. rope no, 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 by no, no, a not white drag, a, not drag. A black guy being pulled. No, not okay. pulled. This is this is <laughs> a black guy tied by rope. Yes. Go being ahead. led by a horse and a white man on that horse with a cowboy hat. I think it was not been, entertaining. No, I think it would have been less we are making it entertaining. It, it would have been less offensive if the uh, black individual was on a horse and riding side by side. You can say so that. Like, That's not the problem. No, no, you know, like they'll be riding side by side. Like what did he Lone say? Ranger black and individual. <laughs> You want him to be a black Tonto? No, no he's just side, side, side by side. Lone Ranger. Side by side with the guy. You know, side by side. Equal. This you know, is. Arm in arm. You know, like brothers. Oh, my God. This, Thomas, perfect example of a racist because he <laughs> thinks he's fixing it. Yes. Oh, no, by it's saying, okay. By uh, making him. Like, listen, no, let's make it better. We'll put him on a horse and he'll be a sidekick to a yeah. white man. <laughs> Still not equal. For more Rain Man, visit RainManShow.com. Y'all listen to Weird West Radio. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Weird West Radio on Rain Man Digital. If you want to get more Weird West Radio, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. Just search Weird West Radio. We do a plethora of reviews, uh, mostly positive, fan-ish type reviews, but we're very honest. Uh, Every once in a while, we shit on a few movies and hurt a director's feelings. (laughs) And then they send us hate mail. Which, look, at least they're... At least we're well. I shouldn't say we're popular because I was the nobody, and yeah, you're a nobody, and I'm a has been hack. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, dude. I mean, at least we're somebody because you had sent send on that email to someone. Someone was on the other end, and you felt it, and you felt enough passion about us that you decided you're nobody and uh, washed up has been. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so I salute you, sir, for being contradictory and also being an asshole. And your movie sucked. We're not going to say which one it was, but uh, I sure do want to. <laughs> I think people could figure it out if they go back <laughs> over the last month or so. I think they know which movie we shit all over. So, all right. So let's talk about Bass Reeves. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Let's talk about Lee saying <laughs> ill. All right, so Lee Sang-il is a Korean-Japanese director. Uh, He had originally directed the Zanichi Korean film director and screenwriter. His first film, Chong, was a short film about the lives of third-generation Koreans living in Japan. Uh, Hula Girls was declared best Japanese film. That's one of his movies that he had directed in 2006. Uh, and Lee won the Best Director and Best Screenplay Prizes in 2007 at the Japanese Academy Awards for the film. So the Japanese Academy Awards, you know, is, is an important thing out there. And they gave him Best Director, Best best Screenplay. So the guy obviously knows what he's doing and people seem to like him in the academic circles. Uh, his film Unforgiven that we're discussing right this moment was screened in the special presentation section at the 2013 Toronto International Film Festival, where it left people stunned. According to various reports, people loved the movie. Uh, There was applause and uproar about the accomplishment of the director. So this movie was generally received well. And like we had said numerous times throughout this discussion, typically remakes are pissed on and shitted on usually from the very beginning when they're announced from the very, as soon as they're announced, people are like, what the fuck? Another remake. You see them in the YouTube comments when uh, they drop the trailer. Whereas this movie for the most part seems to be well received within the critical circles. If you look on rotten tomatoes, the review aggregator it is sitting at a 93% from critics. Whereas the original Unforgiven is sitting at 96%. So there's just a 3% difference there. That's almost unheard of for a remake to be that close to the original. I mean, you have True Grit. I believe the Coen Brothers remake is actually better reviewed than the original, but there's also a big time gap in terms of style and quality and mm-hmm. 
acting. So that's a little different. We're talking about 1992 uh, and you're talking about a film that still is that still holds up. We just watched it and I was amazed at how that original film still holds up. So the fact that you're remaking a movie that's still to this day watched and beloved and it's getting a 93 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, the audience score is very different. And I'm wondering how much of this is subjective, meaning. They don't like to read either. They don't like remakes. They're upset that Unforgiven was remade. Uh, It's not a classic or traditional Western because the audience score. There's a pretty big gap. 78 percent for the remake. Mm. 93% for the original Unforgiven. That has got to be with a critic score of 93, 96. That's got to be subjective, right? Clint has to be. Yeah. Well, I also think, you know, I don't know how far reaches these rotten tomatoes go. I'm Mm. assuming global, right? Yeah. But I think most people are kind of traditional Western fans for the most part. And I think when you get something like this, the critics kind of, they're a little more open-minded, you know, I think they, it's what what they do. You know, you're going to watch a lot of stuff. Yeah. So I think you, you have to go into some of these. And I mean, I do because I, when we started this, I mean, I was very traditional what I watched and, you know, you learn to appreciate different styles of films if you just go in with an open mind. If you just, if you're not so damn hardcore on, you know, if you saw this Unforgiven and you were like, it's it's a Japanese film, I'm not going to watch it because you can't ma- remake it. Well, then you're going to miss out on some really cool visuals and, um, and an cinematography, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I do. You're right. And that probably is the. The reason why there's such a gap in the audience score is such a big difference. You're right, because when you and I first had met uh, years ago before we started doing this show, you weren't a big on Weird West. And now you're a host on Weird West. And it took you a while. You were a Bronco. You were a stallion that (laughs) needed to be broken. And I broke you. I rode you so hard. Wow. And you broke. You and just now, love saying that. And now you love those weird wives. <laughs> you work that into just about every show. Well, it's all Wrote about control. Hard. It's all about control, Clint. It's all about control. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I do think that's a, a key. And I, I don't care what film you're watching. And I, I did learn that from this show. I'm going to give you it. But you should be more open-minded when you watch any movie that you probably weren't going to be into. Because you... You do pick out, and I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of a film nerd, video effects guy, yeah, basement closet type. Anyway, but I do love. You're in the closet. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, you, you definitely put it out there, but uh, I I think when you watch films like like this one, I will stick with this. Is you're going to. If you have an open mind, you're going to see a lot more of the film. You're not going to go in there all tensed up, angry that someone remade it. And you're going to get something out of just about every single film, except for Summer of Love, that you'll 
Oh, you fucking you'll, bastard. That you'll you'll get out of it, you know, and you'll see something that it's appealing. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you always managed to slam Summer of Love. That movie was great. Don't listen to him, listeners. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So one of but the it still sucked. So one of the critics on Rotten Tomatoes says, while Eastwood provided agonized end of era minimalism as an aging shooter forced to reload one final time to feed his children, the Japanese wow. version leaps off into wild tangents and indulges in seeping wounds and spurting gore. I, I disagree with that review. I can't say how much I do. I mean, it's a lot. I just, I feel like I, first off, I understand where this critic is coming from when she says tangents, because what did I say? Eastwood's movie was nuanced. It mm. was a minimal minimalist picture. It was about him exclusively for the most part and everything revolved around him. It was a character study in many ways. This movie broadened out. It was about politics and the, you know, as I said, it's more socio-political. There was something they were saying there. So I understand the tangents. It's not as nuanced, but you got to understand that this is a remake of a movie. Yes. And plot wise, boom, 100% accuracy for the most part. But a director's prerogative. Why is he going to remake a movie beat for beat? Let me at least say something unique within my picture. So I feel like that's a little subjective on her part. I don't think she's reviewing this movie for what it is. She's reviewing it based on what she expected because she saw the original. Uh, another critic says the film is remarkably faithful to Eastwood's version. It carries on a long tradition of exchange between Westerns and Japanese samurai films that stretches back to Kira Kosawa and Sergio Leone. So it seems like more people enjoy this movie. One critic really put it out there. Not as redundant as it sounds. That's it. That's his review. Not as redundant as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> that guy has, does not have a lot to say. Not a, not a blogger, I guess. I feel like that is what his wife should put on his tombstone when he dies. Not <laughs> as redundant as he sounds. Yeah. Wow. There's Jeff. Yeah. Not as redundant as he's. <laughs> wow. It's right. worth even putting it on there. Let's move into the saloon here and um, let's dodge all the body parts that were cut off, all the limbs that are now flopping around in blood. <laughs> uh, let's say hi to some of the attractive Asian whores because there were some attractive Asian whores. I'll say that. I'm like, hello, how are you doing? Your scars don't bother me. I'm always scared that they're younger than they're supposed to be. Why is that? Because they always look young. Oh, uh, Japanese gals? Yeah, and yeah. I'm, you know... Yeah, they I'm, are young. I'm in the middle of the road here, so I, I don't... It's very dangerous. Yeah, well, that's why there's an entire genre within anime that caters to people who like those types of things, because... You must have just watched some anime, huh? Well, we do an anime show on this network, so unfortunately, it's always <laughs> on my mind. And a lot okay. of it's very creepy. Yeah, it's not, and it's not my type of creepy. <laughs> I, I'm not going to even open that door. <laughs> yeah. So let's belly up to the bar and have a couple drinks and give this movie an RMD score. Let's start with you, Clint. Final well, thoughts. I'm going 
Uh, my final thoughts are, you know, we, we, we love snow. So right away in the beginning, <laughs> I, 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 I have to reiterate it because the beginning of this was really, really cool. That's what drew me in. Um, and then they had, I did read this little part, um, but they talked about a bear in the woods. If you encounter a bear in the woods, you look him in the eye because you don't, they don't want to instinctively fight. Right. They want to go the opposite way. Yeah. I love that. Yes. So I was, I was really pulled in. We always talk about that 10, 15 minutes and holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) Was I not pulled in? Um, I think if you are a traditional Western fan, you could dig this. That's my always my thing. Would a traditional Western fan do it? I think you would kind of dig this because it does resonate the original, and it's a different kind of take on it. Um, but my RMD score is eighty-five percent. Um, kind of, I you know, I can't. I don't like. I love the original so much. But I do love this film, and I, I think I told you earlier, I probably will rewatch this at some point. Um, a to read it, A to read the the subtitles, but also just yeah, get to your see reading what glasses I, on. Yeah, just to see what I missed as far as visually, because you know we kind of go through these, and I'm writing and I'm doing all this other stuff, but I I do want to see this again because I do think. Um, there was some stuff that I did miss, so I give it an 85. Okay. This is difficult because I feel like this is a really good movie, and it's really hard not to compare. I almost feel like I shouldn't have rewatched the original before this. <laughs> yeah. Because I would like to review this based on its own merits, and on its own merits, it's a really fucking good movie. It really mm-hmm. is. But because I can't help but compare it to the original, there are things that the original does that surpasses this movie. Now, I am a fan of politics in movies, as long as it's done smart. Like, I don't want soapboxes. I don't want a director getting on a soap. I don't want virtue signaling. I don't want a director saying this is how you should think. This is what you should do. But I don't mind facts. I don't mind politics in movies. It brings a a grounded vibe to your story, especially when you're dealing with an end of an era, which, by the way, we didn't get into that. That's just a beautiful thing, because in the original Unforgiven, you had the whole idea of the sunset. The day of the outlaw is at an end. And then here you have the end of the samurai era as well. So when you contrast those, it's just fantastic. So I feel like the director did an amazing job being true in terms of plot to the original. But also, he found a creative way to tell his own story. So the movie is really good. I loved it. But I feel like the... Oh, Jesus. It's so weird. I'm going to give this an 89%. I'm just going to spit it out. I'm going to give it an 89%. There's things that Wantanabe does that's better than Eastwood, but the overall story about Eastwood, it's more personal, it's more intimate, it's more unflattering, and I prefer that. So a little bit of my own subjective thoughts are going to skew this one. So 89%, 
Beautiful movie, gorgeous movie. I will definitely see whatever this director puts out in the near future. So this does conclude our discussion on The Unforgiven, the 2013 remake. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, Clint. Thank you, Michael. And good night. said he be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. You can go to hell, hell, hell. (laughs) 